Welcome back. In this week's episode, we discuss liberals not believing in what they vote for, a charismatic new candidate for French president, and New York City allowing non-citizens to vote. I'm Luke. And I'm Rody. And this is the Right Side of the Compass podcast. All right, so we're going to get to our first topic today. Uh, New York giving power to non-citizens. Uh, let's first talk about the details. Um, so, yeah. So, New York City approved a measure to allow non-citizens to participate in local elections for, I guess, for eight hundred thousand residents um, that are living in New York City as of now. It seems like there are eight hundred thousand. I guess undocumented um, residents of the city. Are they permanent residents or undocumented residents? Because there's a difference. I mean, it says here uh, to legal permanent residents. Legal permanent residents. So so those are... What's the difference? Well, because there are people who are given permanent residence without being citizens. You know that, right? Uh, No, I did not. Yeah, you can get... that. That's what green cards are, right? Green cards are essentially like a work permit, but you can also be a permanent resident. You can get like a permanent resident card, which means that like you're legally in the country, you legal you have some legal rights, but you can't vote. You're not a citizen, right? But that you is have important. visa, you know, you have a green card. So. Um, well, no, a green card is a little bit different. A green, green card, I think, is temporary in nature, where I think if, let's say, you get permanent residency, you're not a citizen, but you can live there indefinitely, I think. But I have no idea... Like, I don't know when, why you would choose to get permanent residency over citizenship. I think maybe you, you're not taxed as much or maybe, maybe something. I don't that know. That makes sense. Yeah. Probably yeah. But I don't taxed. think, yeah, you're, you're or taxed much less than you would be if you were a citizen, but then you can't vote. Um, that's like what permanent residency is. Um, again, I would, I would have to look into permanent residency cause I've never actually done the research into what, what a permanent resident is versus say someone who's on a green pass i think green or rather i've done the research i don't know what a permanent resident what the advantages of being a permanent resident are as compared to a citizen um in the olden days this this would obviously matter a lot more because you certain people were not eligible to be citizens and so they may you know settle for permanent residency but as far as i know most people nowadays are 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 eligible for citizenship if they're eligible for permanent residency so i don't know why one person would choose over another um but that's not even the point right i think regardless of whether a person is a permanent resident or literally an illegal alien there is a problem with non-citizens voting there very okay. much is why why do you say that um well number 1 um non-citizens when a citizen, by definition, has more at stake in in regards to his surroundings than a permanent resident. A permanent resident is not a citizen, and therefore is not you know required to go to the army, not required to uh, you know not required to pay as much taxes. Um, there's a certain level of, I guess, um, a certain level level of responsibility that comes with being a citizen. And therefore, one of the reasons that we give citizens the power to vote is because they have all these responsibilities. Therefore, they get to have some impact on their local and state and federal government. Of course, I think part of the problem is that we don't really talk about what is expected of a citizen. And citizenship is kind of meaningless nowadays. And we know that because people can be citizens of two countries, which as much as I'd like to think like, ooh, that's a you know, that's really nice for me as someone who travels back and forth from the United States and Israel, it's really nice to have dual citizenship. On the other hand, there there simply is an issue where citizenship doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, and people try to collect them like they're Pokemon. Have you ever seen like people with like <laughs> like three, four passports? Just like why do you need three, four passports? Uh, um, so you could get around more. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, easier. But, but but that's but that's fundamentally backwards. There's a you know, passports are designed so that you'd be a citizen of a country and you fly around and the passport is is designed to be almost like a, a mini diplomat in your pocket, right? Have you ever read, you know, the inside of your passport and you see like, oh, it's it's written by like the ambassador or some diplomat or I don't, I, I don't have my passport in front of me. So there, but there's some official that writes a statement on the passport. Yeah, you're representing the country. Right. But more importantly, the passport is, is like a permission slip. Not to like commit crimes or someone like, 
you know, oh, this person is a citizen of our country. Um, please treat them favorably when they're in your country. Um, and we're going to treat your citizens favorably in our country. But when you have like multiple passports, it's kind of like, it's kind of like you're just, you're just using, you're banking on these states to bail you out when something bad happens. But there's no way that if you're a citizen of four countries, you're actually contributing to all of them. There's no bloody way. Like, like no, I you're can not, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's a selfish thing, but I mean, I, I mean, personally, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind having multiple passports. The only issue I would have with multiple passports would be the tax ramifications. But other than that, I mean, well, only the United States really taxes you for income made outside of the United United States. That is true. Right, they were so. one of the only. Um, I think there's like a few, but I no, I I think the they're the only ones. I think they're the only ones. Um, but anyways, back to the article at hand. So it says here, so the new the new law would let them vote in New York City elections for mayor, controller, public advocate, city council, borough presidents, and ballot initiatives. So I guess even though these people aren't citizens, you know, they still you know live there and they would want to have a say in what goes on in the city, no? Right. But I, I think part of the problem is, is that because I think especially for a place like New York, you have a lot of people that come in for a couple of years and either in school, maybe they're working there and but they don't really own anything there. They they kind of just rent and then they they leave when they're done. But their politics and their their vote matters when concerning people who have been there for decades. Right. Believe it or not, these cities do have, you know, more permanent mainstay residents and it's not fair to those people that you can just kind of waltz into New York, uh, claim residency. You're not even a citizen, right? And then you could just kind of say, oh, I want the politics to be like this. And you're imposing your will on people who pay their taxes and join the military and things like that. So like here's here's a really um, interesting thing that I think Michael Knowles brought up once. He, he brought up – I mean he brought up borders, okay? And he said the reasons why there are borders was – to because your country has a different ideology than ours and we you know we want to keep our ideology so i feel like citizenship is the same way so it's like we have a certain ideology if you have someone who's not a citizen who's i guess a permanent resident or i don't know how long they're staying they're now if you're giving them the right to vote you're bringing in their ideology from another country you know potentially and bringing it to our country, which might not have the same ideology. So, so right. So, it, like, I will never, ever disagree with Michael Knowles on things like that. <laughs> Maybe on, like, matters of theology, but what can I say? Catholicism's just wrong. Um, but when it comes to things like this, right, it's almost as if what Michael Knowles is saying is true, but it doesn't matter. And, and what I mean by that is the following. Citizenship used to mean something, right? It used to mean that you were responsible to join the draft. It meant that you you had to vote in elections. It, like there, there was a responsibility to being a citizen because people couldn't move around as much, and so they were more responsible to their local communities. Nowadays, there are a lot of people, especially in these cities, who are who are very international people. They're not here. They're not there. And like we know people in our lives who they're just when they don't like it in this city, they go to the next city. And when they don't like it, they move to this country or that country. Like we know people like that. We don't have to name names here, but we know people like that. And nothing theoretically wrong with that. Cities have always been more liberal and more open to travelers and people who are not here, not there. Like if you want more, I guess, steady conditions, you would move to the countryside, right? Um, that's where you get a lot more of the I guess the stalwart citizens, the people who kind of live or die by their place. Um, and there's nothing wrong with either philosophy and theory, but I do have to ask, isn't it a problem that we almost kind of don't see the problem with this, that we don't see that there's like anything special about being a citizen that, you know, you can be a citizen of four. Like I know people who have like four different passports because they're eligible for this passport because of this. And they're eligible for that passport for that. And they're eligible for this thing and that thing and whatever. And I have to ask myself, this is not, this is not what citizenship used to mean. And I know that like in the olden days, citizenship used to mean like you were a white man who was in the, the ethnic group that was in charge. So if you were like a Roman citizen, it meant you were like a white latin guy living in rome and i don't necessarily want it to go back to that necessarily 
But, you know, we have gone the other way in the sense that now citizenship is almost meaningless. And, you know, it is a problem that, you know, if I were to say, oh, you know, but a citizen has to go through naturalization, so I trust a new citizen rather than a permanent resident. At the same time, it's like, but that's not true. We, we've been bringing in citizens for God knows how long. They're not integrating. They're not becoming more American. We're becoming less American, right? Um, a lot of people don't see the value in America. And so, you know, you got all these people coming and it's just like, well, what does it change if non-residents vote? Or what does it change if non-citizens vote almost? It's, it's like, it should offend you. But when you think about it, it's like, well, who cares? Yeah. So, I mean... I guess you could argue that they're not vote they're not voting in federal elections like cuz like you said they don't serve in the army and they don't do the same things that actual citizens do in that sense so you can argue saying that oh well we're only allowing them to vote in the local election which is just New York City which is understandable but I believe it brings up the problem is where do you draw the line so because if you allow them to start voting in local elections well then it will will eventually go into state elections and then and then eventually to federal election so that's the issue i think well i think there's something i think there's something you're missing before even they vote right which is that um even if they're not voting right necessarily even if let's say it stays that they're voting that these non-citizens are voting in local elections which you know, if everything were neatly defined, right, if, they, if there was a neatly defined distinction between state elections and federal elections and you couldn't vote in this, you couldn't vote in that, and the census was better and this and that, then I would say, okay, sure. So if you're a permanent resident who's been living in a city for X amount of time, yeah, maybe local elections do matter to you and maybe you should have a voice uh, in your local election. Um, my first problem is that even in New York, like even if let's say we didn't give these non-citizens the right to vote, right, in the local elections, the issue is is that on the census, you're not allowed to ask if someone is a citizen or not, right? So if let's say in California, you get like millions of illegal immigrants and they're all saying like, you know, they're all answering the survey, but they're not actually citizens. So they're inflating the number of citizens in California, which gives them more seats in the federal government. And then the issue with that, of course, is that, you know, if, if there are more seats in the federal government for California, even though they have, you know, they only even though they have less citizens than they're reporting, right, you're actually taking away the voice of other states that maybe don't have as many citizens. But if, you know, if let's say you weren't inflating the number of people you had with illegal aliens, they would actually have a higher number of representatives because there's only a certain amount of representatives in the federal government. And they, they don't add, right? They they move them around, right? So if let's say California's inflating their numbers of of uh, of citizens in California, right, even though like a lot of them aren't, right? In Florida, they may get less seats because of the proportionality of it. That's really where the issue is. So if New I'm concerned that if New York is allowing non citizens to vote in elections, uh, then you might get this kind of inflation of the numbers uh, in terms of the census and in terms of like how many seats does New York get in the federal government, right? But then there is also just an issue of you're not a citizen, right? And so now the the local politicians are are marketing in foreign languages that the locals don't understand, right? You go to New York, right? How many stores? The guy barely speaks English. And the store signs are all in Spanish, right? Well, it depends the area. Right. But I'm not saying every store in New York is that. I'm saying like, but look how many stores in New York are like that, right? You know, you've lived in Washington Heights. I've lived in Washington. You have Washington Heights. Then you have Chinatown. You have uh, other areas. Yeah. Right. And, and again, I'm not against other languages. I speak to, I speak two languages. I'm, I'm bilingual. Uh, It's not about other languages. It's about if I'm in New York. I want things to be in English, right? Or at least enough in English that I can get around, walk into a store and order something, right? Go into the store. I don't have to like kind of, it's like, what did you say, amigo? Like, you know, because I'm like, you know, I'm not Spanish. I don't speak Spanish, you know? Um, and I don't think it's on the government to bring in people who speak Spanish and then force the people living in New York to learn I mean, Spanish. I mean, their kids end up knowing English, you know, the next generation though. Uh, I mean, have you done a study? Do you know that? Because I, I mean, there was a guy true. in there was a guy in my class in university. He lived in the Heights, and you know, he knew perfect English. 
but like his parents know less English. It would be similar to your grandparents or my grandparents. When my grandparents first came to the U.S., they barely knew. I mean, they didn't know any English. I mean, they had to learn. But uh, my grandmother didn't know. She didn't know any English. My dad had to speak uh, Yiddish to her. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not. Listen, I'm not against Spanish and I'm not against there being like signs in Spanish. It's it's more just a matter of you go to certain places in in these big cities and you just you can't walk around as an English speaking person. It's just impossible to get around. Like, have you ever gone to Koreatown? Like, nothing's in English over there. Nothing is English in Koreatown. You know, I didn't know there was a Koreatown. You mean Chinatown? No, there's a Koreatown as well. Um, I was in, uh, you know, there's a place in uh, New Jersey. It's not even a city. It's in the middle. It's like in a suburb. Um, everything's in Korean. Everything is in Korean. Like all the signs are in Korean. Oh. All right. Um, again, nothing wrong with the Koreans. Nothing. I don't have a problem with Korea. N- no problem at all. It, it would be like, listen, it would be like, imagine you were walking through New York and you walked in to a neighborhood and all of a sudden everything was in Japanese, right? And I love Japan, right? I love the culture. You love anime, right? You're, you're, a weeb. Oh, yeah. you're, gi- you're a giant weeb, okay? Let's, oh, let's yeah. be honest. You're a giant weeb, okay? Um, <laughs> Fuck yeah, it's for nerds. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it is. Um, but like, as, as entertaining as that would be for five minutes to see like, wow, this Japanese culture, look, anime girls, you know, but then you want to get around. It's just like, you can't do it. If everyone speaks Japanese, I don't speak English, you know, you just can't do it that way. Um, and I think, I think that's a fair thing to say if you're a, a citizen of the country that you can expect things to be in a certain language. I think part of the problem is people think like that because we have never codified English as the national language. Therefore, we should just have every language be the national language, which is why I'm for codifying English as a national language. Not because, again, not because I'm against other languages, but because every other country is a national language. And it doesn't mean they're discriminating against other languages. It just means that they're establishing a common language for everyone. Like there's a baseline of communication that everyone needs to have, right? Um, So I think that's good. Yeah, but speaking of uh, elections... Well, actually, speaking, I got a better, I got a better uh, transition. Speaking, okay. <laughs> speaking of integration and having a unified language and culture, um, we've got a new presidential candidate in France who is uh, saying the same things in France. Um, <laughs> wow. he, yeah, that I, I told you that's a better, uh, that's a, that's a better uh, transition, way better transition. So yeah, um, so this guy, I believe his name is Eric Zemmour. It's probably has a different French pronunciation, but I only took a year of French, so I wouldn't actually know how to pronounce that name. Yeah, so um, I don't know much uh, about it, so would you like to talk about it, Luke? Okay, so apparently um, this guy, Eric Zemmour, he's been a journalist for many years in France, and he's been his kind of crusade has always been anti-immigration. That's kind of been his thing. Now, have you ever been to Europe at all? Um, yes, I have. It's open borders because it's like everything in the EU is, is open borders. Right. But that's, I don't think he was referring to Italians coming to France for vacation. He's more referring to the fact that like Syrian refugees that like, well, before Syrian refugees, it's, it's been, listen, if it was just the Syrian refugees, I think France would be fine. It's the fact that France has been accepting and well, Europe more broadly, but France in particular has been accepting all different types of people from all over the world to the detriment of France and French culture and the French people. Um, now, I've never been to France for any longer than it would be like to go through the airport. Like, I think I've been through Paris and the airport, but from what I understand, Paris is not a French city anymore. Like, they don't they don't speak French in Paris anymore. It's like Arabic or something. So I was in Paris for two days, but I didn't interact with the locals enough because I know zero French. It's really bad. So I didn't really interact with any French people to really know what they're like. I just know that even, even if they know English, they refuse to speak English to you. <laughs> yeah, the, the French are actually very proud in that way, which I can... It's almost like they're the Americans of Europe. Like, they're they're very... Like, they're very, I guess, um, jingoistic. They're very, in the sense of, like, I'm French, or let me do the accent. I'm French, and I'm going to speak French. Ha, 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 would you like a baguette? Ha, ha, ha. You know, um, so they're very much like that. Um, <laughs> all the Frenchies, all the frogs are going to be angry at me, but uh, whatever, it is what it is. Um, um, yeah, so I actually, I see a picture of this guy, Eric Zemoir. I don't know how to pronounce it. 
and well, you know, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be Zemoir, it would be Zemois. Like, you know, but it, it, uh, yeah, but you know, that's okay. I don't think that's how you actually pronounce that. But anyways, um, I mean, no offense to him, he he does look like you know a villain out of uh, out of the uh, movie. <laughs> Oh, and he's going to be called a villain for sure. But actually, did you watch his speech when he announced his candidacy for uh, French president? Did you watch that? No, I did not. Okay, so basically he was talking about saving France and, you know, the the glory days. It, you know, if I didn't know any better, I would say it was very um, – one who is very into Holocaust analogies, who, who doesn't know anything about history – might say that it is very uh, Hitlery Hitlerian, I guess. I, I hate to say that. Okay. Uh, I hate to even justify it, just because like Nazism is is very much like a left wing social movement, but there is something very very right wing about it in the sense that it is very much looking at the past to old glory, whereas more traditional forms of socialism are much more forward thinking. But national socialism, fascism is very much rooted in like worship of the past as well. And in that sense, he comes off as very fascist. But I don't think he is. For one, if he was a fascist, he would immediately be um, thrown into the clink for being Jewish. So he, he's – yeah, he's actually well, Jew. I don't know. Was he bringing up any particular ethnic group that he was blaming these things on? Because if that was the case, then – I would say, oh, like he's that's very hit. I don't know what the word you use, hit, hit Lurian, Hitlerian, like other um, having to do with Hitler. Or, but if if that's so, I didn't hear his speech, so I don't know what he said. But if you know, if he was blaming, I would say, you know, that is a bad sign. But if he wasn't, then I mean, I don't. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of. I mean, the thing is, is that it, it is kind of hard to ignore the fact that if he didn't blame unmitigated immigration from particularly from Islamic nations for the problem, then he wouldn't be speaking the actual, like he wouldn't be speaking to the actual problem. I think that's one of the problems we're dealing with here is that right now, right? We ha we do have this problem where the elites in Europe are, are just allowing Muslims to come in nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. You talk to any, if you talk to a French Jew who moved to Israel, they will tell you like how Islamic it is. They, first of all, they'll tell you that like, so many more Muslims now than before, and that many times the Jews are lumped in with the Muslims since the, the Jews are from like Algeria or something. So they look the same to the French. So they're being blamed for it too. But I just – he is talking about like how unmitigated immigration did kind of destroy France. And he does want to bring it back to a kind of – he wants to bring back the French Republic back to some former glory. But I think to understand – what France is, we have to go back to the French Revolution. And the French Revolution is very interesting because we like to think of France as a Catholic country, but in terms of actual practice, it's, to my knowledge, the only classically liberal country that I can think of. You know, it's not it's not defined necessarily by Christianity, at least What do you mean by that? Um, what I mean by that is that ever since the French Revolution, um, the power of the church has been so greatly diminished and do you do you know what happened during the french revolution um a lot of people died well i guess if you had to sum it up in in that in one sentence that would be true but if you wanted to i guess expand and be a little more i guess thoughtful about it what you would say is that when the french revolution happened they got rid of the queen they got rid of the king obviously uh the monarchy and then they got rid of the catholic church and they replaced it with secular liberalism. So they actually renamed all the the calendars, and they did a different calendar system. They had their own, they had their own holidays, and you know, egalité, liberté, fraternité. Those are the colors of the French flag. Um, those were like the new values of France, and they were based on liberalism. And even though like you can still be a Catholic in France, a lot of people in France are very secular, and that started during the French Revolution. Because it was pretty much like lots of churches – well, lots of priests were killed and things like that. The state religion of France did become liberalism. So a lot of these people who are like calling for France to you know, kind of clamp down on immigration, they're doing it in the name of liberalism, which is very weird. you know. But you can't have a liberal country where everyone's walking around in the hijab. But he's he, – You'll see this a lot. You'll see this a lot where they'll ban things. They, they, they talk about constantly banning things like hijabs and yarmulkes for that matter. 
because it's not very liberal to force religion on people like that. And they, and they don't, they Davka don't want to see religion in the street. Like they, their religion is secular liberalism. And so seeing women in hijabs, it's very problematic for their state religion, which is secular liberalism. So when he says like he's anti-immigrant, he's not like, he's not necessarily anti-immigrant in the sense that he hates all immigrants. He's saying like, Currently, at the moment, France is not doing what it needs to do to integrate new immigrants. And he specifically points out, it's like he, he says this, and I, I think this is a very, I think this is what this is what kind of makes me feel okay with him. And this is what he said. He said something along the lines of, "If we if we allow so many immigrants in that we stop being French, then why would people want to come here? Why would people like?" He said that like there are people who who come to France and they're envious of France and they want to be French and everything. Okay. And, French cuisine. Well, not just French cuisine, but the French attitude, like you know, because everything French France is a good country, right? I know, like you know, Europe likes to laugh at the French because they're all French and stuff. But honestly, France is a nice country. You know, they got you know they're a first world country. They got good economics. They got beautiful infrastructure. They got nice churches and things like that. Although what they're doing with the Notre Dame church is a crime. And I say that as a Jew, what they're doing with that church is a crime. But like, yeah, the the, the idea is that they don't want to lose their French identity. And that's what I think he's trying to get at. He He's trying to say like, oh, you know, if we lose our identity in allowing so many people to come to France that they never integrate, that these people don't, they don't feel the need to, to start speaking French and not speak Arabic and they don't feel the need to take off the hijabs and they don't feel the need to do this and they don't feel the need to do that, then eventually France is not a country anymore that people are envious of, that people want to come to. And I, I think that's a little different than the Hitler thing because Hitler really wanted a pure, like, uh, not French, he wanted a pure... Aryan bloodline, right? Whereas this guy's saying, like, we need a limited immigrant. Well, we need a fine line between like letting people in and when when is it too much? Like, oh, I understand what you're saying, but not letting anyone in would be like, you know, you should let people in, you know, have immigration stuff like that, especially when it comes to you know populations and and also if you are a democratic uh, republic or you know a liberal country, you do want. Uh, immigration but you know when is it too much right so but his his premise that he 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 kind of mentions the premise which he says like listen you know i I, he he his family is a family of immigrants his parents came from algeria he's an immigrant or he's a descendant of immigrants right he's not even he's he's jewish right so he's not against just anyone who's not you know, Latin, French, you know, you got to be white, you got to wear the the beret and you got to eat the macaron and this and that, right? It's it's more about he wants it to be so that when immigrants come to France, they become French. Mm-hmm. Which is not what which we were talking about before is what the U.S. is not doing. Right. They're not doing that, right? They're not in, in, in America and in France and all over the Western world, people aren't becoming the local thing, right? They're not. You know, they're not becoming... They're not assimilating. They're not. I always see this video. I don't know why it's advertised to me on Facebook because I'm not a Muslim, but there's this video of a mosque and dawah center in Norway that they want donations for. And they constantly advertise to me saying like, oh, if you you support the masjid and you you give uh, the zakat to the masjid for the dawah, then then you're going to be... you're going to have a, a portion in the paradise with Muhammad, uh, blah, 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 with the, you know, peace be upon him, all that. Um, but I'm thinking, like, if they would just convert to Christianity when they come to Norway, you know, that would never happen. You know, they would never be setting up a Dawah center in Norway. But they're not doing that because, you know, they go to Norway and they, they go to Norway and they refuse to integrate. They want the Norwegians to become Muslim. They don't want it to be the other way around. You know, they don't want to integrate into Norway. They want Norway to integrate with the immigrants. Um, and that's what we see going on in a lot of these Western countries, and that's why a lot of people are not happy about it, and that's why you have this guy. He's doing very well in the polls, actually. I believe he's polling third. Really? So what are your predictions on what will happen? What do you think? Well, first, to understand predictions, you have to understand how the French political system works, right? To my understanding, I have no – I don't really have an understanding of French politics any more than what I've read about. Read about. Um, but from what I understand – at first, there's like an open presidential race, and then there's a runoff, right? I think you need like 51% of the vote to win. But if, if no one gets a clear majority, then you have to do a runoff with the top two candidates. Right now, it seems, from what I understand, 
Macron is in first, and then you got Marine Le Pen, who people talk about, but I think her political career is kind of done. And then you have this Eric Zemmour, right? Eric Zemmour is like definitely the guy, he's definitely the dark horse. If he can beat Marine Le Pen in the open election, and then he gets to the runoff against Macron, then he might have a chance of winning. But I'm not going to say he's going to win. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to predict that. Because mm-hmm. number one, I'm not a I'm not a fortune teller. I'm not a prophet. I what? that's not my. I know, right? <laughs> my life would be so much easier if I was a prophet. Like I could just predict the lottery numbers and just like make a lot of money. I wouldn't be doing yeah. this. That's for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, if I could make it. a lot of money on the lottery, I wouldn't be talking about my political opinions. In fact, I wouldn't let anyone know that I know all these things. <laughs> I would I'd be sitting on a beach, you know, drinking a pina colada. I would change my name every time I join the lottery so they can't even know that I'm mm. winning the lottery using my awesome skills. Um, because honestly, why would you share that information? That's just like asking for trouble. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Oh, um, yeah, I'm right. Like, um, like always. I know, like always. Um, <laughs> but also, I don't really know – I don't really understand the French opinion about it because on the one hand – I can see Mr. Zemmour's messaging working with like, you know, the salt of the earth French guy, the type of people that came out in the yellow vests and protested the gas hike. Remember that? Uh, no. Can you? You don't remember the, the yellow vest, the yellow vest, pro- look it up, look up the yellow vest protests. I believe it happened like last year or something. Yellow vest protests. Yellow vest protests are yellow jackets protests where a series of populist grassroots weekly protests in France. Um, I believe they were in 2020 in response to like COVID tax hikes or something. Oh, all right. Interesting. I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, no, so there's definitely this kind of like French, you know, populist spirit there. But will that be enough to win an election? Because it's one thing to get a riot started. It's another thing to win an election. To win an election, you need a certain amount of people. And I'm not entirely convinced that Europe has the cojones to survive. Maybe America does, but I don't know if Europe can survive like this. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if Europe has a will to live anymore. Um, but hopefully I'm wrong. Yeah, only time will tell. Only, you're right. Only time will tell. That is true. The election will happen and we shall see. Um, hopefully Europe has what to live for and uh, we don't have to uh, we don't have to scrape Europe off the uh, geopolitical pavement, as it were, because, you know, Europe's nice. Um, anyways, if you want to talk about liberals and their voting habits, let's talk about our third yeah, topic. So we stumbled upon. Wait, wait, a- wait. Before you before you continue, how good was that intro? Or how good was that transition, rather? How good was that transition? Which one? The last one? The one I just did. Just now? Just, yeah, just now. Or it was not so good. What do you think? I don't know. I thought it was normal. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, because the, in, the, the uh, transition I did from the first topic to the second topic was really good. But I don't think I did. I, I don't think I nailed the third one. I don't think I did it. Oh, all right. I mean... I thought it was all right. I thought it was normal. I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> I don't want anything from you. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to figure out how the the transition works. I'm trying to make it smooth, you know, so we can all right, so you know, work on it. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying here. Try harder, Luke. Right. Ugh. All right. So we stumbled upon this uh, New York Times video, and by we a- you mean me. By we you mean me. Yes. By we <laughs> I mean Luke. Okay. <laughs> so Luke stumbled upon this video um, from the New York Times. So this uh, reporter named Johnny Harris, who he made an opinion piece about the liberal hypocrisy, how, how liberal hypocrisy is fueling American inequality. And you can find this video on YouTube. It's a great video. And I was floored. I was actually shocked that this was coming out of the New York Times. But I understand it's an opinion piece, but the fact that they even allowed him to make that opinion piece, like... I was thinking to myself, wait, so what's happening with the New York Times? Have they gone so far left that they're right now? Like, <laughs> what's no, happening here? No, I don't. I don't think that's the case. Every listen, every once in a while, even like a okay, maybe like the the super progressive, like the slate types, and the you know, like the have you ever heard of like Gawker or something? Like those sites really, really are like dense ideological bubbles. 
Um, but every once in a while, something good will come out of the New York Times or you know Washington Post or something. Uh, especially if like they invite Ben Shapiro to write out an article for the New York Times, they'll they'll fart out something nice. Um, I love how you say it. It's like you 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 uh, you make it like oh they'll fart out something nice. It's like even when they do. Not- it's even when they do something nice, it's like not really. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that I was watching the video and and the information in it was good. It's just that the conclusions were kind of, you know, kind of wrong. Um, they they conclu- basically they 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 looked at all their evidence and they said, hmm, you know, liberals are voting for all these policies, but yet when they're actually given the opportunity to put them in practice, they don't want to do it. So what should we do? We should just tell Democrats to be less hypocritical. But me, the takeaway was a little different. My takeaway was is that your policies are so stupid that even when people vote for them, they don't actually want them. Like that was my takeaway. That maybe like you should reevaluate your your political priorities if you keep on voting for things. Well, it's, it's, and no, we we want them, just not in my town. Oh, they they literally uh, they literally say that it's amazing. Like it drives me bananas because what they'll do is like let's say let's say you don't want something as a Republican. Let's say you you want like you know, more tight border control or you want uh, tighter voting laws, right? They'll call you racist, right? But then when given the opportunity to put like a low-income housing unit in their fancy schmancy Palo Alto, you know, suburb, they go, well, I don't, I don't want that. I like when my town is no crime in it. It's like, no, oh, so you're right. So my town should have crime in it, but your town is okay. Like your town doesn't need the crime. My town needs the crime. Like, okay, buddy. Um, where are we going to put these uh, people that you want? We're going to put these people that you vote for to come into the country. Um, but yeah, anyways, no, exactly. But anyways, I, but I think one of the most uh, important things to talk about is actually um, how how they one of the examples they bring is how the Chicago public school system is run. Um, let's just play the clip, and then uh, we will talk about what that means. So over here in Illinois, which is like the quintessential liberal state, there's this one county that contains the city of Chicago. It's called Cook County. The residents here voted overwhelmingly for Democratic candidates in the presidential and senatorial elections last year. Often what would happen is that this would just be one big school district and that all the taxes from all the towns in this county would be put into one bucket and distributed equally throughout the county. But the residents of this very blue Democratic county have actually decided to divide themselves into more than 140 school districts. So now you have all these tiny school districts like this one, which are like gerrymandered around the richest part of town. And so all of the taxes from these rich homeowners go into one little bucket and then only get distributed to the schools within this rich region of the county. It can be on the same block that the town line runs through the middle of it. And if you live on one side of that line, you're consigned to an inferior education by virtue of the fact that you and your neighbors don't have as much money. And if you live on the other side, you're basically a member of a club that is sponsoring a private school, essentially, for the benefit of that small group of kids who are lucky enough to live in that affluent community. And the result is that poor communities have less money to educate their children and rich communities have more money to educate their children. This is crazy. It means basically that the kids who have the greatest needs have the fewest resources. Binya tells me that the states could change this. They could actually just collect all the real estate taxes and then equally distribute them. But if you look at some of our liberal strongholds, that is exactly what they are not doing. All right, so basically Republicans always talk about school choice. You know what school choice is, right? School choice, um, no, what do you mean by that? So typically Republicans, they're, they're typically Republicans, what they want is some sort of voucher system where every child gets a certain amount of money to go to school every year. But unlike in the current system where we ha- which we have right now, which is that you get a certain amount of money and you go to the school in your district, right? You get a voucher and you go to any school you want. That money goes – if you go to, let's say, you, you take your kid's voucher and you say, I want my kid to go to X school. And X school says Within that's – Within city, state, country? Anywhere you want. Within the country. Anywhere you want, right? Okay. And that's what people want or that's what Republicans want. Um, Democrats, they constantly say how it will affect inner city children, right? Because they'll be they'll be somehow like you're going to have their the funding from their schools taken from them. Because there's going to be a flight away from these cities, and that with that flight is going to come the funding. You understand how that that would work? 
Yeah, because then everyone would be going to the good schools and not to the bad schools. And then all those bad schools would essentially close down because no one's going to them. Right. 100%. But here's the thing. I feel morally superior to these Democrats living in Chicago because at least in my system, the rich people are paying for their own schools and they're not taking money from the poor and giving it to the rich. Here, they're literally saying everyone in Chicago is going to put their money together and then, oh, we're going to distribute the schools based on the property taxes and this, that. Oh, guess where the property taxes are highest? In the rich, highfalutin neighborhoods with all the good schools. So the rich, highfalutin schools are going to get more tax dollars, and therefore the rich kids are literally benefiting off the taxes on the poor. Yeah. I mean, did they mention – I mean, it, instead of having every – it's different districts within the city, so it's – so instead of just having the entire city and then the money's pulled together and then it's it's distributed evenly upon all of the schools, it's it's not. Well, don't don't cities usually have multiple zip codes in them? Um, yes. I mean, it depends how big the city is. I think. So I, mean, I know in Jerusalem about, they have multiple postal codes. I know in Jerusalem they have like a postal. I mean, it code. depends. Are you in a suburb? or Are you in a city? Like you know, New York, you know, Chicago are big cities. They have you know multiple areas. Well, if you're in, you know, a suburb outside the city, probably one zip code because it's, you know, smaller. No. So the video here, I believe, says that it's the the city of Chicago is in all these districts are within the city of Chicago. And so or is it that the county pulls the money and the money goes to the people in the richest district within the county? I, I don't know how that works. Um, But, I, you know, you don't need to listen to me. Listen to this guy from the New York Times and this Democrat strategist. Don't listen to me. Um, this is how they do it. And so my thing is, is that, well, hold on a minute. I'm morally superior to these Democrats who tell me I'm a racist and a this and a that and whatever, you know, because I just want a system where every child gets a certain amount of money and they could do whatever they want with it. Or the parents, because the kids are not, you know, if we gave the kids, they could do whatever they want with it. They'd spend it on like ice cream and Nintendo games. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, maybe their parents get to do whatever the parents feel is fit for the child. Right. And so, you know, if they want to send their kids to the local public school, they're free to do so. If their kid, if they want to give their kids a religious education, they're free to do so. If they want to send their kids to a specialized school for special needs, they're free to do so. You know, there, there's many, many options when you have a voucher, but these people, what they want to do is not only force your kids to go to the school that you live in because that's what you can afford, but also they want you to, uh, uh, I guess, fund the rich kids going to school. They want you to fund that too. Yeah, no, it's a unfortunate reality that I guess the higher class gets that opportunity that than the lower class because, you know, they just have more money to you know to play around with. I mean, listen, let's be real, right? If we were, you know, I don't think there's ever going to be a system where the rich and the poor are truly going to be equal, right? I don't think that's going to happen, right? But I do think it's very possible to be for it to be that rich people pay for their own schools. I think that's very possible. What do you mean they pay for their own school? They're already paying for their own school. No, what I mean, I mean is that taxes. No, what I mean is that they're not the rich don't use the money of the poor to pay for their school. I think that's very possible. Uh -huh. And you're saying here they're using the poor people's money also to pay for their school. Right. That's that's what this guy's saying, that the poor are paying for the rich, which is like, you know, I'm not a socialist, but oh, my God, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Like I, like, I don't believe that the rich should be paying for the poor, uh, like other than like charity or whatever. But like. Oh my god, like I'm definitely not for the poor paying for the rich. Like holy shlamoli. That's like the worst of both worlds. That's like the greed of capitalism and like the forced redistribution of socialism. So you, you lose either way. You know, you don't you don't get your socialist utopia, you know? It's definitely not what's mm -hmm. going on. Yeah. But I mean, look, he also brought up many other good points. Um, for example, taxes and I don't know, they just like it's it's funny how they don't the, these people like have a belief system, but they don't they don't actually read the fine print <laughs> in the belief system. So like they don't actually know what's they don't know the detail of what's going to happen in terms of how to go about it. See, but that's the thing. I don't actually believe that these people don't know the ramifications of what they're saying. I, I genuinely believe that if you go to Palo Alto, right, if you go to the community with the with the housing thing. 
You go to them and you, like, I'm sure they understand economics. I'm sure they understand housing prices. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is, is that they know that their policies are going to make their properties more expensive and they want more wealth. That's what I think it is. I think they know that if they vote for Democrat policies, their property values are going to go up. And then all they need to do is go to like City Hall and stop people from building housing complexes for the elderly or for, you know, low income people or whatever it is. You, you understand? Like, well, I actually believe that some of them actually do not know the the consequences to their to their beliefs and their, you know, their votes. I think a lot of times when they look, a lot of people are busy and don't necessarily, you know, pay attention to the nitty gritty detail of policies. So a lot of times things sound good in theory or, you know, a politician says this, but, you know, they never actually read about, you know, how they would go about it. So they don't actually, so when they, they say, oh, you know, public housing is great, but then when they actually realize, you know, when it actually is time to, to implement it, when they realize that, oh, hey, we're going to put this lot in this, in your town is going to be, you know, for public housing. They're like, oh no, you know, I didn't know it was going to be like this and I don't want this. So I don't want this. Right. But here's the thing though. I don't think the guy who lives in Palo Alto, who has a property that's valued at over a million dollars, who has lots of stock options and things like that. I don't think he has a fundamental misunderstanding of how the economy works. I think a guy living in Palo Alto, making lots of money, I think he's very knowledgeable of how the economy works. I think he knows that if he votes for Democrat policies, for example, he knows that Democrats are going to inflate the dollar. Well, you know who benefits from inflation? The rich. The rich benefit from inflation. It's not the poor. The poor lose on inflation, right? Maybe some stupid college kid who who just figured out what socialism is. Maybe they don't know what the ramifications of the policy. Okay, with that I'm willing to hear. The guy who has a million dollar property and lots of stocks, right, goes into debt getting stocks, right, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly that if he votes for Democrats, he's going to get more inflation and his – like the people who work for him, their their value is going to go down because they're less likely to have stocks. They're, they're less likely to have non-liquid assets. Their savings are more likely in the bank. But the guy who has company stock, the guy who has a million dollar house, like a $500,000 mortgage on it. I don't. I don't actually know how mortgages work. I've never mortgaged a house. But you know, if the guy took out a loan, right, the currency inflates. Guess what? He doesn't have to pay as much back in value. He knows exactly what he's doing. Um, yes and no. I think the the public housing has more to do has less to do with economics. Has more to do is that they want their town to look nice. You know, you don't want lower class people in their town. Right. But what happens if there are lower class people in the town? Other property values. You know, crime go down. goes up. Um, and property values go down. Yeah, and then of that. right, and so right. So what you want, if you're a rich person with a with a house, right, you want the value of your property to go up. It's an investment, right? Now, if you vote for Democrat policies, the inflation is going to go through the roof. So the value of your house is going to stay the same, even if the currency is inflated. Because maybe not all your savings are in cash, right? But the guy who's renting apartments for $1,000 a month in your very, very expensive city and buying like $12 Frappuccinos of Starbucks, his net worth is going down. His quality of life is going down because his value is not in cash. I mean, his value is not in non-liquid assets. It's in cash. And as currency inflates, the value goes down. And so the guy who lives paycheck to paycheck, well, he now needs to start earning more money. But the guy who has assets he doesn't. He can. He can work less now because his assets are going up in value. Mm-hmm. So there's. An, I. I just. You're, I don't believe for one second that the guy in Palo Alto, right, who's voting against keeping, you know, voting against building a low income housing unit in Palo Alto. I don't think he's doing it because he doesn't understand Democrat policies. I think he does understand Democrat policies. I think he knows that if he votes for Democrats, then the value of the currencies the inflation is going to go up. Therefore, his assets are going to go up and he becomes richer at the expense of everyone else, at the expense of the guy in Missouri who maybe works paycheck to paycheck, maybe doesn't have unlimited non-liquid assets. He's going to be hurt the most. The guy in Palo Alto, he's making off like a bandit. So listen, could it be that he doesn't know anything? Could it be that he doesn't understand the relationship between, you know, 
inflation and value and things like that? Maybe, but I don't see the evidence for that. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, indeed. Um, is that it for now? Uh, let me think. Is there anything I want to say? Oh, yeah. There is something I did want to say. Nothing to do with the topic. Um, but before we go, I just wanted to clarify something. Uh, we spoke about Hanukkah last week, and I was going over the episode, and I realized I said something that I kind of wish I'd said a little differently or kind of clarified. Um, I remember you brought this up at some point that, you know, during the Hanukkah story, we were we were trying to get rid of the Greeks, but nowadays we try to imitate the, the West. Um, and I think it's important to give the cultural background that the rabbis were never against everything Greek for the sake of being Greek. They were specifically against the parts of Greek culture that were antithetical to Judaism. And what the problem was is that you, you the, the Greeks at some point were forcing the the Greek way of life in its entirety on the Judean population. And it, trust me, it's not that like they didn't want Jews reading Socrates or thinking in the Socratic method. Like that's not that's not what it was, right? It was it was more that just it was more that they didn't have the ability to pick and choose what they wanted to do from the Greek culture. They didn't have the opportunity to to take every take what they wanted and leave what they didn't want. Um, I think you'll find this a lot that Jews will take what they can from the outside culture and appropriate it, and then you know they'll leave the stuff they don't want, and that's just how cultures always do things. But ultimately, that's what the Hanukkah story was about. It's not we're not anti-Greek for the sake of being anti-Greek. It's not about that. I just wanted to clarify that in the hopes, you know, in, if someone misunderstood what I was saying and, you know, they thought, oh, the Jews are being hypocrites now because Hanukkah is like Christmas. It's like, yeah, not really because that that's not what Hanukkah is about. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit uh, past the, I guess, the point of, I guess, it mattering. Um, maybe I'll say these thoughts again next year. Um, all right. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to say before we go? Yes, there is something I want to say. I want to say uh, thank you all for joining us this week. Boo! Uh, what a bad... <laughs> a oh my god, wow. What? You, <laughs> you did it that way. I can't believe you did it that way. That's Ugh. a good transition. <laughs> it's a great transition, but the problem is, like I already said, is there anything you'd like to say before we go? <laughs> well, yeah, thank you to our audience for listening. <laughs> well, the, no, but that's the outro. Now we're... All Okay, fine. We could do it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just uh, taking the piss here. You can just, you can do it. Well, yeah. I mean, I had nothing. <laughs> I had nothing else to say. <laughs> okay, fine. fine. <laughs> that was my point. <laughs> All right, fine, fine, fine. Okay, okay. Was what? Well, was there something else you wanted me to say? Well, like your hair looks good today. Like I don't know well, what you want me to say. <laughs> well, well, actually, if you would have said my hair looks good today, then I probably would have said thank you. But you didn't okay, even notice. Well. You didn't even notice. <laughs> well, nice haircut. Thank or you. Did you trim your beard differently? Uh, I did trim my beard differently. It was not my choice, but uh, the barber misunderstood me before it was too late. <laughs> but not before. But not before it was too late. Anyways. Uh. All right. And with that, um, thank you all for joining us this week. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Audible, and Google Podcasts. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye.